Greetings and welcome to the Franz Barden Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Sabom. And my guest today is Philip Harris-Smith, who is a magician that also works in alchemy. And he has a rich lifetime of work in these areas. And it's a really fascinating interview. One thing I will say, and it is a qualifier, is that when we recorded, I was visiting my dad and the recording acoustics weren't good in the room I was recording. And my end of it didn't come out well, but his end of it did. And so the good news is he did most of the talking. So if you can bear with, you know, my bad audio during my questions, uh, he has a whole lot of good things to say, which is the bulk of the podcast. So rather than just not publish it, I thought I'd just publish it with that qualifier. So anyways, hope you enjoy our interview. I'm probably going to have them back on an episode where we focus just on initiation into hermetics because he has done a lot of Bardonian work. And um, again, yeah, just hoping you enjoy the Franz Barden podcast and this episode with the interview with Philip Harris-Smith. Hey, Philip, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy to have you here. By the way, this is my first ever podcast interview. So thank oh, you, thank you wow. for bringing me into this world. Wow, wow. Well, that's an exciting thing then. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Okay, cool. Well, for listeners that may not be familiar with your work, do you want to give a little back bit of background about yourself? Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a magician. And I have been um, since my teens and... I wanted to be a magician before I could be one. So when I was at home living with parents, they wouldn't allow it. Then I was in a lodgings. So the landlady didn't really think much of it either. And it was only when I finally managed to live on my own that I could actually start pursuing magic. Um, my My first work with magic was very basic. I looked at chaos magic it worked and that was alarming and it made me think more about morality which isn't really present in chaos magic right that's not to say that's not to say that chaos magicians aren't moral of course they are but within within chaos magic itself there is no morality Um, nothing is true everything is permissible so then i moved on to lots and lots of different types of magic and eventually i encountered franz barden's work um, and I had a, I had immense difficulty with it, immense difficulty, which apparently is quite common. I moved into more of a Thelemic type of magic. So it's Alistair, Alistair Crowley's book for Liber Abba. And I progressed with that for a long time. And it was only when I was with, with my wife in Egypt, um, sometime later in the early 2000s, that having done um, some Enochian called Heptarchia Mystica, I felt that I kind of wasn't going anywhere with the, with the work I was doing anymore. And it was, it was actually the uh, Enochian angel that we were working with. We were in Giza City 
and we were working with a fire angel that relates to that quadrant of the earth. And um, the advice was start Franz Baden from the beginning. So that, that's what I did. We, we were in living in Egypt. We rented a flat. By the way, I, sh I should mention that what we did was probably illegal and you might get arrested in Egypt. So don't, I'm, 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 I suppose I'm suggesting that you don't do what I did in case you get caught. <laughs> okay. I think the laws are probably quite strict on that kind of thing. Um, so don't, don't yeah, I, I suppose I should advise against that for that reason. But anyway, we didn't think of it at the time. We just got on with our lives. And we, I came back to the UK, um, started Barden in Egypt and came back to the UK. Started from step one of initiation into hermetics. Um, made good progress this time, possibly because of all the other magic I've been doing over the years. And uh, I'm now um, on step seven of key to the to, uh, key to the true Kabbalah. Um, I've actually gone back to it because I did I did the phonetics wrong, and I needed someone who knew the correct phonetics to show them to me, which is very interesting because it means that Kabbalah is still from mouth to ear, even though Barden has very fully um, published it. He, he actually mentions in the book that he, you, there, is, there is training. You, I, I did also, um, once I realized that my phonetics were incorrect, and it took a long time because I was getting activation with the other letters. Um, so there was a, a there was a, a, a partial input and this 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 is why I pressed on but in any case I came to the conclusion that I was getting the phonetics wrong I spoke to the angel of the sphere of mercury called Nithaya and I've got some input from um, a, a, a very um, knowledgeable gentleman called Raider Sol who you may have heard of and thanks to him I'm getting the correct um, phonetics and also some essential guidance that I have been missing on this work. So that's my key daily work at the moment. And it'll, to be honest, it'll take as long as it takes, you know. Um, aside from that, I'm doing some lab alchemy. I've got a little box room upstairs. I do various um, lab alchemy works in there. The main purpose of that at the moment is to try and find something that can replace accumulator when you evoke, you know, the smoke, the ditany of Crete. So my main, my main area of alchemical research is to find um, a menstruum that can replace smoke um, and produ produce a better accumulator for visible manifestation of evoked genii. I do do a fair bit of sphere magic. Um, I've got a quite a strict regime at the moment. I spend about 14 days on a letter, longer if it takes longer. Then I'll spend about three days. At the, on the first of those three days, I'll do some evocation, some, some sphere magic, and um, chill out for a few days, you know, play a console game or something. <laughs> and then, uh, then I'll get back into the next letter as I, as I work my way along step, step seven, key to the true Kabbalah. Um, so that's, that's I'm, I'm very busy at the moment. Part of the reason I'm busy, extremely busy, is because my wife passed this June. 
Oh, and one sorry. of the things that I've, yeah, I, it, it was it was not unexpected, but it, you know, these things are never good. Um, so I've immersed myself in this kind of work with a perhaps a greater vigor as I as as a part of me having my own time and space to you know to deal with the loss. So that's that's an overview of what's what's happening over the last six months or so. Sure, sure. Wow, you have a you have a whole lot going on and a deep mm -hmm. rich history with this kind of work. Yes. Just out of curiosity, what was your uh, experience or perspective on initiation into hermetics by Martin? The thing, the thing that I like a lot about initiation in hermetics is it's very concise and simple. And I would say that my error when I first came to it was to read more into what was there than was. If you just take it literally as read, everything becomes better with that work rather than reading a lot into a given thing and drawing from other traditions and reinterpreting for yourself in a way that is not present in the text. And that, that, is, that is certainly an error I made at the time when I first right. uh, tried to work with it and didn't succeed with it. Yeah, I see that error a lot. And, you know, I mean, myself, I follow different spiritual paths and different traditions. Mm. And I found like, you know, I later found with Barden that it was necessary to just focus on Barden and not yeah. track yeah. by outside input from other what yeah gathered in other traditions yes yes if the simplicity is its beauty and and also such a difficult thing when your mind is full of all these other things you've done and are aspiring to do and it's it's just so boiled down and concise that you you over you overcomplicate the matter oh certainly for myself i can say that Absolutely. No, I, I feel like that's very common. You know, I offer coaching and guidance mm. Martin, and I've had clients that are very much all over the place with all these different mystical traditions and all these yeah, yeah. forms of magic. And, you know, Barden is pretty clear, you know, about about everything. And, you know, to just hone in on that, I think. Well, mm. the challenge, people are curious, people have explored other things, you know, so I mean, I think it's kind of natural to bring in other other sources, but I am totally in agreement with you there, you know, just direct focus on the text itself. Yes, yeah, stick to the text. You see, my, my error, I, I put this in the, um, the Perseus Academy blog. My error was to, to read, read too much and also listen too much to other people. And the, 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 the critical thing that pushed me away to my regret when I first looked at this in the early 80s, 1980s, was other people were telling me you need to concentrate for over an hour, you know, visualize a fixed object for over an hour. Now, I believed them. I didn't realize, and um, I'm going to mention book four, Crowley's book four, to back this up. I didn't realize as a beginner that when you concentrate on an object, you eventually achieve union with that object, whether you wish to or not. And I misinterpreted that as a failure, as a break. 
So I didn't think I was progressing. And it even crossed my mind that I couldn't progress and I was somehow incapable of that concentration exercise. And the, the, the problem was that I'd been told by other magicians who I, particularly one in fact, who I held in very high regard, that he, he could visualize for a whole hour or visualize whole sensoriums for a whole hour. And of course that's not, and book four backs this up and my experience, that's not actually feasible. At the most half an hour into that, you're going to start drifting into Diana. And if you don't know what's happening, you're gonna think you've made a break in your concentration. And that was, that was what kind of served as a massive hurdle to me with IH work. Because as I say, I was drawing things in from elsewhere rather than sticking to the text. Sure, sure. And what happened then, of course, is I moved into book four because once I realized through reading book four that Diana is unavoidable, it's not a break and that Diana as as it's put union with everything samadhi um, um sorry yeah Diana Diana samadhi can also progress from it I began to understand that it's not discrete it's a continuum as well it's not a this is concentration on an object this is union with an object this is union with everything they're not just they are not discrete they are a continuum which as Barden says it's signposts he talks and about signs. Flows together, yes. Mm. And you don't realize how you, the, the move from one to the next is, can be imperceptible. So they are just signposts, in my opinion. Um, so na naturally, uh, because I had this revelation, I moved into the Thelemic stuff. And I moved, you know, because that was basically, that at the time, that was working for me. I, got, I was getting the answers I wanted or I, the answers that I felt that I needed from that. So I moved into the Thelemic practices much more and away from Barden. And as I say, it's only later on when me and my wife were doing some, um, bringing uh, Enochian angels into a shoe stone in, e in Egypt, that it emerged that the best, the, certainly the best approach for me to continue my work was to just get back to the Barden stuff right from the beginning and do it from the beginning fully, um, which is what occurred. Yes, yes. Did you go through the practice of magical evocation too, the same way? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I done evocation by various means, but I, I would say, in my opinion, Bardard's methodology, which is basically theurgy, you bring in the personal godhead and then evoke, is the superior method. I, I would, I mean, many people would disagree. Um, a lot of people in, in evocation circles would suggest well you don't need to do that it's just a technology as long as you choose the right time and the right equipment which is of course the opposite view to Barden's and I, I respect their view but I for myself personally I find that Barden's approach to evocation is it is the better one I find it the most parsimonious and I don't bother with the, the, all the other stuff I used to do yeah and I and I think Barden is highly ethical as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean I used to do um or to be more, my, my wife and I used to do Goetia. So we would, we would be evoking the um, Lemegeton spirits um, in, in the Lemegeton. You know, obviously those spirits come from earlier grimoires and there's a genealogy you can trace, but um, we, we weren't doing theurgy with it. Um, we were doing something called Thwarting Angel, where you call upon um, a Shemham Forash angel, you ask the angel to help you, 
And then if that angel agrees, you then evoke the Goetic spirit and the angel will step in if that Goetic spirit starts behaving in a, um, an untoward manner. So you're not, in, you're not doing the Godhead work that Pardon gives you. You're, you're just you. But you've called on an angelic agency to back you up and it has agreed to do so. There are usually various parameters on what you may or may not ask of the spirit for the angel to assist. And it's, it's something that magicians who either don't want to or can't do proper theurgy um, employ so as to achieve evocation to visible appearance. Um, I'm, I personally, though, I, I think that Barden has the truth of it when he says that you know, what's the point in um, evoking negative spirits, um, spirits or genii? when a positive gene, I can do the same stuff for you. What? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and I think there's a, there's a basic logic to that that I can't disagree with. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no reason, no reason to risk going outside the will of divine providence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that really won me over with Barton that, you know, he, he wants everything to be in accordance with divine providence with the highest mm. principle. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an initiation in hermetics for me, the crown of it is when you, I mean, to, to me, all the balancings and all the then learning the fluids and, and all the things you do, they're all, to my view, push you towards that pinnacle, which is the Godhead realization that you achieve at the end in the final, the final two or three steps. I think it's just step nine and 10, if memory serves correct. Right. Where, right. You, where you deal with each of the divine principles first in an elemental way, and then all of them together, which is the, 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 the Godhead. Um, and that, that, to me is the, that to me is the pinnacle of it and was, was my reward, if you like. Um, you know, yes. um, it, it, it's, I would say it certainly has, just, just that, just that, has helped me immensely over the last six months or so. Really, really very, very valuable. Right on. Did, did you feel like it was necessary to do all the steps leading up to that before you got to that? Oh yeah, you've got you can't you can't um, just jump into a system. That's that's a, that's a mistake people make, and it was the same mistake I made at the very beginning, the first time I did initiation somatics. I was, as I say, I was bringing in all this other material, thinking I could synthesize it, um, which which I would say was terribly arrogant at the time. A few decades ago, but still arrogant, nevertheless. Um, you have to do you have to do what he gives you. You know, the only the only thing I didn't do was the making the hand move independently because I was already evoking genite to visible appearance. Um, so I um, I admit that the moving moving my hand independent the automatic writing I didn't do that. That's that's I admit I. I missed that bit out. I freely admit it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about the lab alchemy. Okay. Well, I started out um, because I was quite interested in a lot of Golden Dawn stuff. I find it very verbose. 
but every now and then there's stuff in there that I don't see anywhere else. And in this example, Z2, talking about alchemy, the, the GD material says, when you're doing your alchemy, to check if anything's working, evoke the elemental of the materia and observe its appearance so that you can see before perhaps physically it starts to change what is going on. Um, and that, you know, that was like, hmm. And then I looked at um, an alchemical ritual uh, as a mixture of ritual magic and lab alchemy that's in something called the Complete Golden Dawn System of Magic, which was Israel Regardi's final, final massive book before he passed on. Incidentally, he was also experimenting with alchemy, alchemy and he apparently, um, one of the reasons he died is because he, he poisoned himself successively on several occasions with antimony, um, because he was doing work with antimony in his basement without proper safety equipment. He did it once and hurt himself and then did it again and Apparently, this, this may have uh, accelerated his passing. Well, anyway, I, I, don't, I don't use antimony in that way. But with regard to this, um, this ritual by Francis King, um, it shows how you evoke various Olympic spirits and how you distill the materia. And you do all sorts of stuff with it. So there's a synthesis between the thing I'd been into originally, ritual magic, evocation and alchemy and this this really this really excited me and and my late wife immensely actually so we went through the francis king procedure without frankly me really understanding alchemy i can't say i understand it particularly well even now but i certainly understood it even less then and we did get a result but it faded over about a day, it just listened. We were so blown away, and then it just it just disappeared. It's like it dissipated. It just went, yeah. you know. Um, so that <coughs> that got me more into how you can do lab alchemy and magic together, <coughs> which isn't something which isn't something that I think alchemists um, in the current day are particularly impressed by. There's certainly a historical, if you look at podcasts on alchemy, there's a historical um, uh, tradition within, within alchemy through the Middle Ages where they, 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 they deliberately set themselves apart from ritual magic so as not to face the kind of problems that ritual magicians might have faced, even if they were mag magicians, they pretend they weren't, or they would just be very they would be overtly hostile to ritual magic or necromancy or whatever they chose to call it. I don't do necromancy, but they would call it that. And they, 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 they I, I see a certain um, antipathy in the current day um, between people who are purely into alchemy and magicians. There's, there's, there's. I do, I do sense a certain tension there sometimes. And um, I think, so I think that, that that view, that medieval antipathy from alchemists towards magic persists now. Um, so I, I, would, I would say that I'm a magician who does alchemy rather than an alchemist, um, because I don't want to pretend to something that is a tradition in itself. 
Sure, um, sure. Okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting distinction. Right, right. There's a historic. There is a historic precedent for their position, and I respect that. And I don't wish to be rude to anyone. Um, but with regard to what I'm doing, I'm continually looking at the interaction between our chemical pr pr um, practices, praxis, and its interaction with with um, well, magic and hermetics. Um, I mean, if we look at Barden, he would talk about making something as simple as an alcohol extraction of herbs, and then he would load it, as he describes, um, to make it into a much more powerful remedy. And, and um, although I'm not looking at remedies, I am looking at a similar principle. I don't actually seek to consume anything that I make in the lab, which is a big plus, by the way, and I would recommend that to everyone. Um, but I am looking at these, these materials and substances assisting in magic as a, a thaumaturgic aid, perhaps you could say, where if, if as I say, if this, if this substance is evaporated, it serves far better than Dittany of Crete for the visible appearance of a genie, for example. I mean, at the, I'll come back to the alchemy, but just to give you a, an idea, what I do when I do evocation is I, I will load the area with electromagnetic fluid. I may use a mirror and, you know, house in shorts notwithstanding that the smoke can be a problem. I was just looking at my smoke alarm in the living room and I looked away then, um, <laughs> so you know, so I can't really use smoke. I probably would breach my contract of insurance if I took the smoke alarms down. So obviously <laughs> I, would never, I, I would never do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at something that doesn't make smoke and is better than smoke. Um, sure. You know, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at the moment, I'm looking at antimony but I don't like to work with it at high temperatures. I like to keep it inert. I'm very aware of what has happened to people in the past with, with some of these substances. I don't work with mercury. I don't work with lead. Okay, I would that's say that's, I would say that's a no-brainer. I would say that's a no-brainer. I, sure. I have some um, antimony, but it's very inert stuff. It's not, you know, there are, it's antimony trioxide that I've actually got online. It's quite easy. You know, you just have to be careful of it. It's not an in, inherently dangerous thing. You just store it carefully. But what I'm looking at at the moment is to produce a menstruum that um, then extracts what in our chemical terms is called the sulfur from the antimony. Because in alchemy, antimony is ascribed to earth, terra. So if my, my thinking is that if I can extract the, the oil, if you want, the oil doesn't actually contain any antimony in it. It's of antimony, but no longer contains the substance antimony, which is, think of it like an essential oil from a plant. You know, the plant right. matter is gone, but the oil from the plant, rosemary oil doesn't have any particles of rosemary left in it, but it's still rosemary oil. It's got the essence of it in it, hasn't it? That's what I'm trying to do. And I, my, my thinking, I could be wrong, we'll find out, is if I can extract the oil from antimony and then evaporate that, will it serve as a good accumulator 
for evocation. Okay. So that's what I'm looking at. Now, I did, I did something called the vegetable menstruum, but it was a bit, I've done it before, but this version was a bit weak. I'd been, you see what had happened is I'd been nursing my wife and my lab turned into a utility room next to my wife's bedroom. And all the lab stuff was just put to one side and all the stuff that I needed for my wife to look after her was kept in the middle. So obviously when my wife finally finally passed, well, I would prefer her to stay, but she, she had to go. Um, that lab started up again. I had some salts and I thought that I'd done everything I needed with them because I'd put a label on it. But now I reread the label, I realize I missed a step. Well, I may have only partly done a step. But it, it worked on copper, it extracted from copper, but it was weak and sluggish. So I'm doing another load of um, the vegetable menstruum and hopefully it will be up to the strength I'm used to, which um, I was doing before, before my wife fell ill. And um, we'll see if that extracts from antimony. I want, you see, I want to make sure that the menstruum is proper and correct before I decide if it's suitable or unsuitable, because the, 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 the version I made was below standard recently. I was quite disappointed with its performance. Um, but I've started with fresh salts. Would, would you like me to explain the vegetable menstruum at all, or would you like me to just move on from that? Oh, no, go ahead. Give an explanation. I think that'd be helpful for listeners. Okay, well, the, the vegetable menstruum is very interesting, and the reason I like it is because you don't have to use lots of complex equipment. Basically, you get some potash, or well, this is what I do. You get some um, potash, you, I turn it into an acetate with vinegar. And at the, the same time, so I, I just, um, I just burped my tea then, sorry. Um, at the same time, um, you put some alcohol with some high concentration vinegar. And you, you sit the alcohol and the vinegar in a, I could actually show you the flask over there, actually. But you sit the flask and the vinegar together for at least three months, preferably more, and it'll slowly change into um, ethyl acetate. Then you distill the ethyl acetate away from the rest of the liquid. That's going to be your body for the vegetable menstruum. The potash salts you have added vinegar to turned into an acetate. And then what you do is you put the liquid, the ethyl acetate, on top of the potash acetate. It's going to be a mixture mainly of potassium and calcium, but it will be other things depending on the soil from, and the plant from which the potash was derived, because the potash is burnt plant ash. Um, you distill the acetate off, put it back, sit it for um, an alchemical month, which is six weeks. If I, if I remember correctly. Then you distill it off again, put it back. And you just keep doing that at least seven times. You'll find that the majority of the matter disappears. It goes into this liquid body. And what, what I do with any um, residue that may be left of, of the, um, the material that you had is I, I, pyrolytically distill it. In other words, I apply a very high heat and it cooks off. And you get these little puffs of white vapor going through the liquid because the nose of the retort or the distillation train is stuck into the liquid that you've been working with. And that, that um, puffs this kind of white gas through the liquid. 
Now, while you're doing all this, there are obvious there are obvious applications for Barden's work. You can use the electromagnetic fluids at various points, for example. Um, but I'm just going to stick to the lab side of it, if I may. Once you've cooked off the acetate, once it starts to burn, detach it. Um, don't let the liquid go into the heating vessel. When you turn off the heat, it will explode. You could maim yourself for life. Um, I don't know, try a motorcycle helmet or something. <laughs> don't, don't take any undue risks with, with your person. Keep an eye on it. Be very careful. You know, it's not, it, it, it's, it's something you have to do, do a dry run with something else first, you know, if you've not done it before. And then what I do is I don't have something called a pelican. Have you, have you ever heard of um, Mozart's Magic Flute, the opera? No, I haven't. Well, it's, there's, there's a lot of alchemical symbolism in it, deliberately so. And at some point, the maidens, they make a little gesture, which is like the pelican. And the, 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 the pelican in alchemy is a glass, a piece of equipment where you can circulate vapors and they cross over each other. Um, and the idea is like a pelican when it shakes its beak. I don't have a pelican, unfortunately, very hard to find. So I use a, a, a very long glass column and a Vigro, Vigro, a Vigro um, condenser in it. And I get, a ref I get a refraction and I put the liquid in this and I just literally circulate it in that for at least a month until I feel that, and this is, there's an element of psychicism required here. You need to feel that it's finished. You know, you, 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 it, could, it could take a week, it could take six weeks, it could take a year, however long it takes, you circulate it until it's done. And it may need cleaning as well. So you can put some of the original um, potash that wasn't turned into acetate into the bottom and that will draw in a lot of the dirt whilst it's circulating. That's something I do. And now when it comes out, that smells like a diesel sump. It's, that stuff's really, you know, so I know that the, a lot of dirtier stuff has gone into that. And then that, that, that liquid is, is um, it, it's, it's a menstruum. And what I do is I put it with a plant because a dry plant, because then it'll extract from the plant, but I only leave it there a couple of days so that the plant doesn't start to break down. Um, and that, that also helps to bring up, to draw out any final excess water. Um, and then I distill the liquid off, use ice cubes to collect it. That's a, a stronger menstruum now. And because I decanted the liquid initially, there aren't any plant particles What's left is a gum. This is all at very low gentle temperature. Add alcohol to that, you've got a nice spagyric relating to the plant. That's quite nice. And then the, the liquid you distilled off and carefully collected is your vegetable menstrua. That will extract certainly from copper, because I've achieved that, and also from iron. So it'll draw the sulfur or the, uh, I suppose you could say the essential oil out of the metal. And then you can use that um, sulfur. So for example, as a magician, I would be looking with the sulfur of copper 
for evocation from the Venus sphere and naturally with the sulfur of iron for evocation from the Mars sphere. As I say, I don't actually, a lot of alchemists take the things they make, they ingest them, I don't do that. It's, it's, that's why I think perhaps I'm not actually an alchemist. I just, I'm just a magician who does alchemy, <laughs> but I'm not an alchemist. Um, so I, I then use these oils and in my opinion, they enhance evocation considerably for those spheres. But I'm looking for a generic oil, hence the, hence the antimony being attributed traditionally to terror. And therefore, I hope um, a generic um, accumulator for evocation, just as Dittany of Crete as a smoke is uh, attributed to terror and is a good generic smoke body for genii in evocation so that that's that's where i'm at now that's what that's you know that's what i'm doing and will probably continue to do until i succeed knowing me i don't that's really fantastic well I, I i i'm used to i'm used to setbacks but i just don't you know i always i always find something that can be used you know so we'll, we'll see if, if um, the vegetable menstruum does not extract from an antimony, I can, I can certainly think of other menstruums that can, and I can look at those. The problem with those is they, they, they require more practical lab work with higher performance equipment in modern day terms. Um, and that makes it less accessible. It, you know, I would look to share this because it would be very valuable for people. But um, you know, if you have to vacuum distill and all this other stuff, and you're just a, you're just a biodynamicist who hasn't done any lab alchemy, you can think, well, that's very interesting, Phil, but I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to use that. But thanks anyway, you know, so, <laughs> so you know, it may not, it may not. So we'll see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use menstruums that are relatively easy, if time consuming to produce compared to menstruums that require much more lab activity and much higher spec equipment, I suppose. That's that a very long answer, I hope you don't mind. No, 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 it was actually great, it's great. I mean, you've said so much and you've just given our listeners a lot of rich, rich content to mull over. I really appreciate you being on here today. It's a blast. It's my first one, like I said, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're coming up kind of towards the end of our time, but um, okay, I, I'd be interested in having you on for a second episode sometime. It seems like you just have so much to share. Could could do. Um, may, may I suggest we focus on an area rather than just a broad thing, though? That's just a thought. great idea. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You, you kind of gave a broad overview of things. And then maybe for our second episode, we could just focus on a particular area. Especially, especially something that people might want. You know, if, if, your, if your viewers have a, a preference and I can help, I'll be happy to. And if I can't, I'd say I couldn't help you on that area. Yeah, yeah. And you may you may have something to help. I think a lot of my listeners are into initiation into Hermetic. Mm. Might want to just focus on that and all the work you've done in that. 
Yeah, can I can I can I direct your listeners to the blog I did for Perseus Academy earlier this year? I think it's the second one from the beginning when they started PerseusAcademy.com. Because in the first few paragraphs, I I do identify the difficulties I had with what's called vacancy of mind and also the concentration exercises that followed. And I'm wondering if my problems are generic um, and therefore might, that might be the problems I certainly had then, you know, my problems as they were. Um, my problems with vacancy of mind and, and as I said, well, I've explained about how I tried to keep it going for an hour and how that was silly. But yeah, those, those two paragraphs might help people who, if they are stuck, um, on vacancy of mind or stuck on the concentration work in Barden, um, because I suspect they'll realise that, I suspect, and I could be wrong, I suspect they are making a similar mistake to me and putting more into it than that there actually is. Oh, I think that's definitely the case. I've heard that from a lot of people and I've seen mm. that. So yes, I mean, I, I and I think that will help. And I can even put a link um, below the episode. We'll probably probably publish this on next Friday coming up. So um, yeah, yeah, from now, so I can put a link to the article under the under the episode. Okay, cool. Fantastic. Well, it's been fantastic meeting you. And thanks so great for being here. Well, um, <laughs> you you have you thank you for just letting me talk and relax. As I say, oh, no, the first I, one. Yeah, you're the guest. You're the guest. You know, listeners are used to hearing me all the time. So, you know, mm. you're the guest. I think it's been great, and you've you've had so much to offer. Well, I, I appreciate that. It, I suppose, I suppose, if people can listen to what someone else is saying and then take what they want from it, and just forget about the stuff that's not useful to them, and that's really all. You know, that's really all. It's, it's, it's important that, that I think, as a tradition, hermeticists perhaps start to talk a little more constructively because, you know, in, in the occult scene that I used to be part of in Cardiff, there wasn't always a lot of positivity there. You know? Oh, and sure. I, I think yeah. it's important for people to be able to, to admit their failings as much as their successes to oh, the benefit absolutely. of people that come after them and maybe have only just started this work oh yeah yeah and I, I, absolutely and i think there's a lot of negativity in in a cult and it's just kind of to be expected for sure yeah 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 well <laughs> as long as long as the work continues and you know there are, there are people who just keep going that's yeah you just you know um a lot of people may not like Mr. Mr. Crowley. I, I, I think he's a, he was a great fellow. And I think Herderabo is the word. Just, you just keep going. You just keep doing it. You just keep yeah. pushing forward, you know, no matter what. Persistence. Mm, yeah. Yes. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. okay man. Fantastic meeting you, Philip. Thank you. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man.